0: Matthew chapter 5, verses 45-48 That you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You, therefore, must be perfect, perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. We know that this promised commandment, this great commandment, is the inheritance of saints of all time and generations, and this commandment is addressed by Christ exclusively to His disciples. Therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and will likely never have one and not only did not have, but they also don't even comprehend this commandment. For them, it is beyond their understanding to be perfect as their Heavenly Father is perfect, if this is even possible or not, in our case, in our decaying bodies, with our mortal soul, with our habits, with our unique mind that constantly distorts the word of God for the benefit of itself. And of course, for these people, it is impossible, and that's why they have no relation to this commandment whatsoever. With regarding to the fulfillment of this commandment, to be vigilant over the word of God in our heart, as God is vigilant over the word spoken by Him in the temple of our body, which we have hidden in our heart, we stopped at the purpose of the following question specific. What specific goals is the righteousness of God in our hearts called to pursue? and in particular on the fact that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart, accepted by us in the broken tablets of testimony in which we, with the law, died to the law, so that we could receive justification in new tablets of testimony in order to live for the one who died and rose. And in this manner, so that we could gain the affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of testimony that give God the basis to give us the promise to be an heir of peace, not through the former law, but through the righteousness of faith, just as he had given to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. I will remind you that the righteousness that we are able to receive and we do receive or have already received, we receive not in the death of the Lord Jesus when we with the law die to the law, but in the resurrection of Christ when we rise up out of death. He has died for our sins and has resurrected for our justification. And therefore, death, death has a completely different function. It has the function of destroying our old nature in order to rise us up out of the death of Christ in a, as a new beginning as the sons of the spirit and therefore, the covenant of peace in the heart of warriors of prayer is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God in the words of the messenger of God. And let me remind you that the faith of God is the information that comes from the preached word. Faith is from hearing. When you read, this is not it, but when you hear, you hear the living word and from a living person that is anointed by God in the Holy Spirit or from a person living person, but who is not anointed by God in the Holy Spirit in order to represent the perfection of His laws. Therefore, faith is not what we feel, faith is what we know, that which comes to us through hearing. And we do not conform with our feelings in order to find out what kind of relations we have with God, but based on what we know, for I know in whom I believed." We know, we know, we do not feel, we know. And when a person begins to be based on what he knows, this means that this person is spiritual, because a carnal person cannot go based on what he knows, he goes based on what he feels. And therefore, the faith of God is the information that comes from the Word of God. Our faith is the unceasing fulfillment of the faith of God. The faith of God is the generalismus, and the faith of man is the soldier who says, Let it be fulfilled, O Lord. As soon as God speaks, the heart of a warrior of prayer waits, waits for the word in order to immediately fulfill it. And so, according to which sign should we test ourselves for the presence of the reign of the peace of God in our heart, which identifies us as sons of peace or as holy unto God? To test our hearts for the subject of the reigning peace of God in it should be done by the ability to be a peacemaker, which characterizes us as sons of God. As written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 And so, we have studied six signs by which we should test and define that we are called the sons of peace. And the seventh sign by which we must judge of our partaking to the sons of peace is by the ability to clothe ourselves or our essence into the holy or selective love of God. The holy love of God is always selective. It is not tolerant. It is selective. It loves those who love Him and it despises those who despise Him. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection— so, it is the perfection of God that is comprised of the fact that He, on the foundation of His word, sends His Son on the just and on the unjust, and His reign on the just and on the unjust. And by the power of His perfection, God, sending His Son on the righteous, warms them and gives them life. And on the unrighteous, He burns them, scorches them, and destroys them. Sending His rains on the unjust, He floods them with these waters, but on the righteous he gives this rain in its due time and in measure. Those that are scientists and study, they still don't understand how rains are poured out from clouds. Why rain is not poured out totally from clouds? Because sometimes in these clouds there is so much water contained in them that it can cover the whole land and all the mountains. It is poured out in some kind of measure. Why doesn't it totally pour out? This is the work of God. How can how clouds can hold this mass amount of water, and this scientists cannot yet explain. And so, Scripture says, "And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful." So, practically, the peace of God can rule only under the condition that we are clothed in the selective love of God, and therefore, in Scripture, God's selective love is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly dignities and properties through the preached word of the apostles and prophets, which, according to its essence, are the unchanging characteristics of God. This is the nature of God Himself. These are the characteristics of Him, which God desires for us to also grow with in ourselves we have all of this for it we have been born from the seed of the word of truth we hear we hear the word of the preached word accepting which we are able to make and build ourselves in the likeness of God so that we can be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect God is the source of all good therefore this characteristic of God's is called virtue and then from this virtue this unique virtue that has knowledge wisdom, and therefore, out of the virtue of God comes knowledge. Out of the virtue of, of a person, knowledge cannot come. He throws to a beggar, not understanding that this is a professional, her earns in a day more than he does in a month. And he thinks that he's doing a good work. He does not discern, he does not understand these things. And therefore, here it is written that out of the virtue of God flows knowledge, God will never bless those who despise Him. He will never do this as much as they have a need. But God is going to f- uh, flood them with His waters and scorch them with His Son. Out of knowledge flows self-control, the characteristic of God. When... God withholds when He withholds. He withholds in the boundaries of His word, waiting and giving a person the opportunity to repent. And then patience. God with patience waits for us to grow into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Godliness, brotherly love, and love. Second Peter chapter one verses two through eight. This is called the ladder of Peter, but in fact this is one fruit. This is the character of God. Of course, it has many other properties and characteristics, but. Scripture pres- presented us with these seven virtues and characteristics. And in a certain format, out of the seven available v- characteristics of virtue, which in their totality determine in our heart the goodness of God, we have already examined five components and we have stopped to study the sixth characteristic. This is our calling to show in brotherly love the love of God, agape or to show in brotherly love again God's love agape that has poured out in our hearts the Holy Spirit the presence of this sublime and noble component in the testimony of our faith transfers us from the state of eternal death to the state of eternal life when a person has repented When he has just repented, just accepted Christ, he is not brought out of death to life. He is simply given a deposit to go from death to life, that he can go from death to life if he placed this deposit into circulation. And he, in fact, does not yet have eternal life in his care or in his in his control he only has the deposit of this life or the seed that he must grow into fruit in order for eternal life to become his belonging and therefore scripture says that we know not we feel but we know that we have passed from death to life why because we love the brethren he who does not love his brother abides in death whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murder has eternal life abiding in him First John chapter three verses fourteen through fifteen. What is hatred towards our brother? How is it expressed? How can I define it within myself so that I can uproot it? This is envy, envy towards my brother. Sometimes we are envious of a person who lives uh, worse than us, and we still are envious of him, and we don't wish him any good. And if all of a sudden something occurs in his life, then we are. Um, when we say i talk i'm talking about christian people I'm talking of Christian people who, due to envy, have hatred towards their neighbor. This means that these people have received the deposit but have not placed it into circulation. Because according to its nature, the nature from which we were born, from the sinful seed of our fathers, we all were born with this root of envy from which uh, goes, from which comes all calamity. The first death occurred due to this specifically. Cain was envious of his brother, Abel, those blessings that God has had poured out on him. Why not upon me? He said, What am I wor- bringing a worse offering than him? And I am even older than him. I'm supposed to have a double blessing, he says. Why him? And he killed his brother for this. And so, if we have envy that has not been uprooted, that is, in fact, the inherited from us, from the vain life of our fathers, then to uproot it means to with the law die to the law in the body of the Lord Jesus so that we can be erected in Him without this envy. And so, in this regard, as in the previous components, the virtue of God and His unique goodness to us, which we are called to show in our faith in seven components, and in this case, in the power of brotherly love, we had to answer four classic questions. What does Scripture say about the power of brotherly love, which we are called to show in our faith in the love of God agape? What purpose is the power of brotherly love called to fill in our relations with God and with one another? And what conditions? Must be fulfilled in order to receive power to show brotherly love in our faith. In a certain format, we have already studied the first three questions and have stopped to study the fourth question. By what signs should we test ourselves for the demonstration of brotherly love in our faith, which is called to be evidence that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us? So we can go from death to life. We're not talking about a deposit, but as a belonging. We receive it as a belonging through the fruit that we demonstrate in relation to our neighbors. And we do this not based on what we feel toward them, but based on the fact that we know how we must act toward them and behave toward them. Jesus, it was not based on the fact that we should love him with our feelings. Our feelings and emotions, in fact, do not have one or the other they are based on, but they do not have in it some kind of intellect in order to love or to hate. They are created by God in such a way as to follow our mind and our heart, which can love and which can also hate. Therefore, we must be based on the information. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments you see the disciples truly loved jesus with their feelings and therefore in the foundation of their feelings because of course a person uh, has gotten used to measure his love toward one another and his love toward god through the prism of his feelings lord you know how much we love you we are ready to go to death for you he says i know that love which you love me with, and of which you say that you are ready to go to death for, you all are going to leave me. You are all going to persecute me on the foundation of this very love. And to Peter he directly said, "Before the rooster crows, three times, rooster crows, you will deny me three times." And Peter was in was in was in shock. All the apostles were, but when the true calamity had fallen, from uh, that came upon them, they all, with shame, had run away. And they looked from afar how Christ was hit, hit and how he, blood had spilled from him. And they sat near the campfire, near the fire, along with those who had rejected and betrayed him. And then all of a sudden, one of the servants had, had seen Peter and said, well, weren't you the one that was with him? I I think you're one of his disciples. And Peter then answers and says, I don't know this person. I don't know this man. I don't know what you are saying. And again, how do you not know? Others are telling him, no, your, your words are, you're speaking as if this person was speaking. He says, again, I don't know this man. And one more time he was said, and he a third time said, I don't know this man and at this time the rooster crowed and Jesus turned his head Peter shamefully bowed his head he could not endure the eyes of Jesus, in which were love. These eyes did not blame him. And these eyes was present the love of God. We know, we know what happened then. Peter ceased to be based on his emotions. The Lord returned to him his calling, three times telling him in his resurrection, shepherd my flock. And therefore, the first four signs according to which we should judge that we demonstrate in our faith the love of God, agape, not from what we feel toward our neighbor, but from what we know how we must demonstrate it. Because we can feel and not know, and uh, we can feel and not do, and do and not feel. And given that the first four signs were already the subject of our study, we will turn to the fifth one. But again, I will remind you of the definitions of the first four signs. The first sign according to which we should judge ourselves for the demonstrating of the power of brotherly love in our faith should be our ability to judge the cause of the poor and needy in court on the basis of the law of righteousness. The second sign that we are demonstrating the power of brotherly love in our faith, which will be evidence that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts, it should be the lack of the organ of stumbling in our hearts. The third sign according to which we should judge ourselves for the subject of brotherly love is according to the presence of trust, or the collaboration of our mind, renewed by the spirit of our mind, with the superior wisdom of God. The fourth sign, according to which we should test ourselves, is the presence of trust in the Lord for the inheritance of our body. And the fifth sign according to which we should test ourselves for the subject of demonstrating the love of God discovering itself in brotherly love is according to the truth which has sprung out of the earth and the mercy that looks down from heaven on the truth that has sprung out of our earth. Mercy and truth have met together met together meaning they have met with one another mercy and truth have met together righteousness and peace have kissed. So Truth will come out to the ground, and righteousness will come from heaven. And the Lord will give what is good, and the Lord will demonstrate His grace, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before Him and shall make His footsteps our pathway. Psalms 80, verses 10, 85, verses 10-13. through 13. In this place of Scripture is presented David's ability to turn upon himself the mercy of God by cooperating with the truth that has grown in his heart and the fruit of Righteousness. So, truth produces righteousness. We receive the seed of truth when we grow it, and the fruit of righteousness comes from truth. The mercy of God in the temple of our body is one of the twelve components of the foundation of the walls of Jerusalem on high, comprised of the precious emerald stone. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, the fourth emerald, Revelation chapter 21, verses 14 through 19. It is known that it is according to the inner dignity expressed in the structure of this precious stone that the atmosphere of each of the twelve foundations of the walls of Jerusalem is defined. Whereas the name of the apostle that this foundation is called is the reason for the atmosphere giving God the basis to discover himself in the heart of a person in his precious mercy. Emerald is a precious transparent stone of a bright green color. This color, both in scripture and in nature, is a symbol of resurrection and life. And based on scripture, that name that this fourth foundation of the wall of the city is called is the name of Apostle John. The twelve apostles are these first Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Matthew ten, two. The name John means Yahweh is merciful, from which it should be concluded that the life of God, which is present in our hearts in the fourth foundation of the city wall, is precisely the meeting of the mercy of God that came down from heaven with the truth in our heart, grown into the fruit of righteousness. The word mercy is defined by Scripture and the properties of the grace of God. Mercy is restoration, security, it is preparation, care, devotion, faithfulness, loyalty, kindness, and condescension. This is what the mercy of God means, that has come from heaven, on the truth that has come from the earth. Because of this, the word mercy in scripture is broad, both in its purpose and in its application. Based on this definition, mercy is called upon to participate in defining and regulating the norms of correct relations that should be built at first between man and God, between man and man, between man and and the whole earth. At the same time, the presence of God's mercy in one of the areas of our life in no way is an automatic guarantee for the presence of God's mercy in another area. In the same way, the conquest of one city in the land of Canaan did not mean the conquest of the entire land. And therefore, proceeding from Scripture, for the presence of mercy, each area of our life must meet the requirements of the truth grown into the fruit of righteousness, to which the mercy of God could condescend in the powers of the life of God. And let us remember that it is us in each separate area of our being are responsible for creating an atmosphere of truth that comes from the fruit of righteousness that we have grown, which could draw upon ourselves the favor of God in His mercy. Thus, it is from the choice of a person and the subsequent decisions and actions from this choice that determines whether a person will become a vessel of anger or a vessel of mercy. Mercy will not penetrate on a vessel of anger. It is going to clothe a vessel of mercy. Whose heart in whose heart was grown the truth, and it has sprung out to meet mercy, and there became a meeting that had occurred in the clouds. As it is written, What if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory? Romans chapter nine verses twenty-two through twenty-three. Why does God endure the vessels of wrath? Well would He won't He protect us quicker, we might think. Well the thing is, is that in order to protect us, we need to offer fruit. And in order to bring them to calamity, they also must bring their fruit. On one field grow the tares and the wheat, but until the wheat has brought fruit and has demonstrated who he is. In fact, he has not yet grown into the fullness of his fruit. The same thing as the, the tear. And when the disciples had said, according to the parables of Christ, they said, let, let us, let us go take out these tears. And he says, no, because when taking out the tears, you should not take out the wheat, allow them both to grow until the harvest. And during the harvest, I will tell, I will say it. Say to the reapers for them to first gather the tares because now it's, they're going to easy to be seen. We're going to be able to see who is who based on their fruit. That is why God with great long suffering uh, endures the vessels of wrath, and they do not receive the retribution yet. That's why they are able to rejoice and say, "The mercy of the Lord has not changed, and it is renewed for us every morning, because we are alive and nothing has happened with us. We have made our own churches. We evangelize. We have miracles and wonders and signs. We love one another, and we have full, um, full unanimity. They came out from us, but were never of us. These." Antichrist those who are Antichrist but they think of themselves that they in fact are the children of God and we we together are those that are lost and that's why we endure we endure this persecution and God doesn't react he does not protect us from this. He gives us the opportunity to grow, to grow so that in this persecution we can remain faithful and we can grow in the full measure of the stature of Christ. Upon the coming of the harvest, when both come to their uh, to their end and the harvest comes, then God says, "I will show the difference between those who love me and between those who say I love you but turn my words behind their back." And therefore, proceeding from the sovereign relationship of man with God, the creation of an atmosphere of truth in the heart which we have grown into the fruit of righteousness that could draw upon ourselves the mercy of God is the joint and daily work of God and man. In connection with such a cooperation between man and God, it becomes vitally important for us to determine in each area of are being both the role of God and the role of man. And for this purpose, we are going to need to remember and to study the following questions, the answers to which could show us how successfully we will work with the truth grown in our heart into the fruit of righteousness with the mercy of God, by which we could test ourselves on the subject of testimony in our faith of the power of brotherly love which transfers us from death to life. This is the definition of the essence of mercy in the moral image of God, the purpose that God pursues in His mercy, a price that draws upon itself the mercy of God, and results that determine the mercy of God in our lives. And so the first question, what properties does Scripture impart to the dignity of the mercy of God that descend from heaven to the truth that we have grown, called to participate in brotherly love? It is known that in spring, when nature awakens from sleep, forests and meadows are clothed in all sorts of shades of green. During the global flood, which marked death as a condemnation for sin, Noah discovered the mercy of God, which came from heaven, to the truth cultivated in his heart by the fresh olive leaf brought by the dove, which signified the image of the Holy Spirit. The image of the Holy Spirit that had shown in relation to Noah mercy. The mercy of God came to Noah. This leaf was a testimony to the mercy of God that came from heaven to the truth that arose from the earth, in that the waters of death receded from the earth and life returned to the earth again. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. He knew that death had ceased. Death had ceased its action. It was satisfied and quenched. And God had returned life to the earth. And based on scripture, Only a person who is lightened in what, in essence, God's mercy is, and on what grounds God manifests it, can rely on the mercy of God. Only a person, only that person can understand. And depend on the mercy of God. First, the mercy of God in relation to us as vessels of mercy is defined in the generosity and long suffering of God with which we are called to cooperate with the fruit of patience we have grown in waiting for the mercy of God, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith in the power of brotherly love. The Lord is generous and gracious, slow to anger, long, or long-suffering, long and abounding in mercy. So here it shows us who God is according to His nature, what His mercy is. It turns out that His mercy is very generous, has a lot of generosity and abundance, and it is long-suffering in this relation, in this regard, and that the mercy of God is not just on one kind of sphere, but He is... M- multitude and gracious and in order in order to cooperate with this mercy how can i define that it is found in me i can define it based on the patience if i am able to await if i am able to await for this mercy because until this mercy has come but it is promised to me i am found under a curse. I carry the reproach of those who reproach upon my head. I am found in difficult circumstances that I cannot change. Someone had asked me, well, how can we die to our circumstances? Because, well, they won't disappear until mercy meets with this truth, until we demonstrate this fruit of righteousness, until we grow the truth in our heart and the fruit of righteousness. The answer was this. Scripture says, in the same way as you die to sin, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the inexistent power of incorruption in your body as existent. In the same way, the circumstances that we cannot overcome and that irritate us, that do not give us any rest or any peace, we must die to them. We must consider ourselves dead, that we have died to these circumstances in the same way as we have died to sin. And we must begin to call these circumstances that they do not long, no longer exist. Because only through the proclamation of the word that I will proclaim that God is going to clothe me in this victory, I am going to become... um, And I'm going to offer the fruit of patience with patience, waiting. I do this with patience, waiting that God will produce this in my life and fulfill this. Because when I call the inexistent as existent, their circumstances, they don't exist, they remain. But I call I name it that it is no longer there and I, in my thoughts, my my imaginative thinking, I view it as if it is no longer there, that I am found in complete peace with God and under the complete protection of God and that God is not going to allow us to perish in these circumstances and He is going to give me complete victory and has already given me and that's why I call this victory in advance, I proclaim it and I thank God for that which is not yet in my life. Because given that the reality exists in my heart. I have accepted this. In this manner, you will s- resist those circumstances. And it is not it that exists, but you die to these circumstances. And this is very important. Second, the mercy of God in relation to us as vessels of mercy is defined as trust in the word of God in which we are called to cooperate by the submission of our faith with the faith of God in the lips of His messengers which we are called to demonstrate in our faith in the power of brotherly love. You are my hiding place and my shield. I trust in your word. Psalms 119 verse 146. So, God demonstrates Himself in His mercy in relation to us that He is our hiding place and our shield. But our hiding place, He can be only Only when we acknowledge the authority of a person over ourselves who has been established for us by God, God cannot directly be our hiding place and our shield. Our hiding place is that authority that God has established over us and our correct relationship toward this authority. The authority might not act correctly, this is the essence in this, but this doesn't mean that I need to have an incorrect relationship toward authority or the priest uh, incorrectly acted in relationship toward the mother who was who was sorrowful though the mother of uh, Samuel the uh, Hannah she was so sorrowful that she was unable to speak she had barely whispered and she was shaken from her sorrow and he thought that she was drunk and he said woman Wake up how are you not ashamed that you have come into the temple drunk she said my master i am not drunk i am a woman who is sorrow in the spirit in her voice there was no um, no groaning she had completely acknowledged the authority of this master and she had understood she had understood that all that she can receive from god is only through this master and then he said, May the Lord bless you. Go into your house. The Lord has heard your prayer. And she, she stopped being sorrowful. She was clothed in joy. She was comforted. Have you paid attention? She was completely transformed. And given the fact that she was in an incorrect relationship toward this authority, God also, God also had honored her. She had conceived and bore a son whom she said if you give him to me i am going to give him to you i will devote him to you so when a person trusts in the word of god because trust is that which we do not yet see it is hope we don't see it this has not yet happened but we continue to hope we consider that we have this on our account this is what it means this is what the mercy of god means It is comprised in the fact that He is our hiding place and our shield and we have His word upon which we trust. Therefore, the mercy of God is given to us in the preached word that we hear and this word is our hiding place and our shield when we obey this word, when we obey every authority in the boundaries of Scripture. We need to... We should only honor human authority in the boundaries of Scripture. Third, the mercy of God in relation to us as vessels of mercy is defined by the acceptance of the Holy Spirit called to instruct us through His messengers and the manna that God has not withheld from our mouth and the water for the quenching of our thirst that we can demonstrate in our faith the power of brotherly love. You also have given your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 20 Take a look here what the mercy how the mercy of God was expressed in here which he had given he says you have given them your good spirit in order to instruct them In fact Those that instructed the people of Israel were Aaron, Moses, Miriam, as well as those people, those people whom they had appointed so that they can lead the tribes. You see, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He is the Spirit of order. He is not focused on one person. He, through this person, appoints and uses everyone, some who are overseers, and some and others as well and in this manner he gives his manna you see this manna is given daily this manna is given daily this means that when a person wakes up he immediately must begin to meditate and ponder upon the word of God which he has heard yesterday or the day before if he does not do this this means that he does not eat of this manna, and he gave them water for their thirst. It also says this is the water of life. It comes to truth. So when you begin to ponder, it's good when you and I ponder upon it continually. I ponder upon it day and night. Whatever I may do, whatever I might be doing, whatever I might be speaking of, I have this continual inner dialogue in this process. I am continually pondering upon the great works of God, which God has done in me, in the universe, because all the works that God has done, they continue to be done in me and in you. Fourth, the mercy of God in relation to us as vessels of His mercy is defined in our life according to the presence of a person whom God has established before us, whose words we are called to submit to, to turn upon ourselves the mercy of God, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith and brotherly love. If there is a messenger for Him, a mediator, one among a thousand, to show man his uprightness, then he is gracious to him and says, so if a man has, out of a thousand, he has one, there can be this one angel of a mediator, and if he, uh, then he is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit, I have found a ransom. God will say to this angel, deliver him from going down to the pit, I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be young like a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray to God, and he will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy, for he restores to man his righteousness. Job chapter 33, verses 23 through 26. Pay attention here, that it turns out that if a person does not have this, and if he does have this this angel mediator and this messenger, then when a person has sinned, but not against this angel mediator, he has sinned with his own sin. And therefore he has found himself in calamity. But in his heart remained respect and honor towards this prophet of God, towards the apostle whom God has established over him. Apostle is one who is sent by God. And when he has this relationship, then God will find mercy. He will find mercy for this person. Sometimes he will come to me and say, do you remember this person? I say, oh, very, very uh, poorly. He was a member of our church before. Well, right now he's drinking, he's smoking, and he is found in jail for some kind of crime. Well, if he hears some kind of gossip, this negative gossip in your address, he momentarily comes into anger and says, I will destroy you if you once again say something against this person of God. Pay attention. A person has gone to the world. He is in sin. But he does not allow for in his presence someone to have the audacity to speak negatively of the pastor, the member of whose church he used to be of before, and the members of church at this time, they allow, they allow themselves to judge the word of the pastor and to say what would they agree with and what they don't agree with. And therefore, according to this place of Scripture, God is going to save this person. He will turn his mercy upon him because he, upon all his sins, has an angel, a messenger remaining, a meteor, one among a thousand. An angel in Greek simply means a servant, a servant of God. Therefore, God demonstrates His mercy for us to understand what God's mercy is expressed in, in the fact that we have this person. Now, how can we accept this mercy upon us? We need for the truth in our heart to grow, to grow into the food of righteousness. So we must correctly act toward this person and to not allow either in ourselves nor when we hear negativity about this person. For in our presence, no one to say this. And if someone does, he is no longer going to be my friend. He is going to be my enemy. As one of our members at one time had come to us, he had just become the member of the church. And in this time, there was uh, the wicked person who had uh, started started this. And one says to him, please remain with us. You are going to, everything's going to be well. We're going to do good to you. And he says, I can't, I can't remain with you if you are going to drink from the same well that I am drinking so he had figuratively shown i can't you are my enemies you are spitting in that well from which i drink from therefore if a person does not spit from the well which he drinks from then the mercy of god is in fact going to be presented to him and in whatever position he might be found in however far he might go but if he has this angel mediator God is going to lead him out and he's going to say to him, have mercy upon him. God is going to give him repentance. Repentance is a gift. We can't repent when we want to. I'm going to do this. I'm going to finish this work and then I'll repent. No, immediately God will give him a fire in his heart. He will light it and he is going to come and repent and he will gain salvation. Fifth, the mercy of God in relation to us as vessels of mercy is defined as our correct relationship toward the vessels of mercy, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith in the power of brotherly love. The vessels of mercy are our neighbors, and we must act correctly toward them. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, James 2.13. This does not mean that we must demonstrate mercy to everyone without measure. This is referring to the fact that we must demonstrate mercy only to the vessels of mercy. And in no way is mercy supposed to touch the vessels of wrath you remember the case when ahab had had mercy on one of the king of a king of assyria whom he had needed to subject to death in this time god sends one of the prophets and this prophet comes to the other person and says thus says the lord god of israel hit me he says well master Master, how can I hit a prophet of the Lord? I can't do this. Because you had not listened to the word of God, the lion and the bear will come out and destroy you. And at this time, he was killed. He comes to the other and he says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, hit me this one was obedient to the word of God and he had hit him in such a way that he he barely stood on his feet and now having been truly hit you will say well why why does God allow for these things God wants to demonstrate and to show his principle his principle to our intellect this Ahab. He came and he said, and Ahab was riding on chariot, he hid his face and he said, my master, my king, help me, help me judge the matter. The one had stopped the chariot and said, what? He, not unveiling his face, and he said, your servant, your servant has been found in this situation. Someone had told him, hit this person, and if you do not, if you are unable to, then your soul will be in place of his soul. The servant went back and forth. This man ran away. And when the one came, he came and Ahab said, it is to your work. And then he took off his veil. And Ahab sees the prophet of the Lord in him. And he says to him by the word of the Lord, with the word of the Lord, because you have let go a person who was accursed by me, your soul is going to be in place of his soul and your nation in place of his nation. Pay attention here. How? How God is wrathful when we turn the mercy of God towards the vessels of anger. Those people, those people who had left our assembly, who had left their assembly, they became Antichrist. They came out from us. We can't demonstrate any kind of mercy toward them in loving kindness, we think that, yes, well, if they are found in a need, if they're found in a need, well, let it be to them according to the work, as Ahab had said, and let it be to you according to your work. And therefore, when we demonstrate our mercy to the vessels of mercy, then the mercy of God is exalted over judgment. What does this mean? If God has something against me in order to judge me, For some kind of action, for some kind of word, for some kind of sin, then when I demonstrate mercy to the vessels of mercy, God is going to have mercy on me. His mercy is going to supersede over his judgment. The same thing we find, the same way we find this expression, forgive me as I have forgiven you. As I have forgiven my brethren, we pray uh, Christ has taught us, uh, Lord, forgive our debtors as we for- forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, and if you forgive those uh, the transgressions, and your heavenly Father shall forgive you your transgressions. His mercy is going to supersede over his judgment, but if you do not forgive people their transgressions, then your heavenly Father will not forgive you your transgressions. but when we are talking about how we must forgive, again, we must forgive to our debtors who are vessels of mercy. They might be still be infants. They might be carnal. They might have their own character still. That's why they might wound us with their character. But we must uh, condescend to them, stoop down to their level. We must act toward them with this condescension. We must demonstrate mercy toward them because we also have a need in the mercy of God. And therefore, the church, if you have a need in mercy, show mercy to the vessels of mercy. And then the mercy of God is going to exalt over His judgment over you you, and God is going to forgive your transgressions, and He is going to have mercy on you. Six, the mercy of God in relation to us as v- vessels of mercy is defined in the time that is given to us, our relationship toward which must be tested for the presence of the power of brotherly love in our faith. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 16 Take a look Be careful that you may walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise so how can we, uh, how can we act or behave in time? We are given time in order for us to be able to gather oil in the vessels of our hearts so that our lamp can burn so that when the time of the meeting with the bridegroom happens, so that our lamp could be burning because if it begins to dim at this time, we are going to be unable to meet with the groom. We're not going to be able to be raptured. And we need to behave as the wise. So the wise in their time had done this, for this time is given, the night. The night, everyone had fallen asleep. This does not mean that this is sin and that they had fallen asleep in their sin. Otherwise, they would not have been wise. How could the wise fall asleep? No, we all right now are found in this night. The night is a state of rest. When we accept the state of rest between us and God, we have made a covenant of peace with God. And we must that with this covenant of peace, we must grow it in our heart. we must study it, we must uh, meditate upon it, and we must gather this oil. And I have already told you that oil in the vessel is that word of God that we hear, but we don't quite, uh, we can't quite understand it. We try to understand it with our mind, but nothing comes of it. We ask, we ask our Episcopal, our, our leaders of our cell group services, we call them leaders, but at Scripture, these are Episcopals. We ask, they say, they tell us, and we don't understand. No, sometimes I am asked one and the same question, and I try to go it from different angles, and I see that a person still doesn't understand. What does this tell us? This tells us that he does not agree. He wants to, he wants to immediately find this out. I am saying, in sermon, are those those things that you had understood? Yes. This is only one point that you have misunderstood? Yes. Well, then this thing that you have not understood, place it in the vessel of your heart. Because the oil in the vessel is that word that we do not understand. We can't put it into action. In the lamp, this is that word that we understand. It gives an opportunity for our spirit to burn, but in the vessel it is still found in in action, it is just gathered. You know, the breads that are placed on the table of showbreads, they can't be eaten for seven days. But when the Sabbath comes, then they are eaten by the priests and their families. Therefore, behave very carefully in order to be as the foolish who had said, give us uh, the oil because our lamps are going dim. This means we must accept that word that we do not understand, to accept it even though we do not understand it. When Moses had concluded writing the word of Deuteronomy, he wrote the following words. Those commandments, those commandments that we do not understand belong to the Lord our God and those that we do understand belong to us and our children you see this was given we've uh, understood even back then god gives us a commandment but we don't understand them all that commandment that we do not understand this is hallowed unto god if you are going to understand everything well then where is the um, holy hallow, what is what is hallowed unto god where will it be because you're using it. I want us to understand, and I want us to cherish that word that we do not understand, so that we can accept it. When Jesus said of his death, Mary did not understand this. When before her the prophet said, and let the understanding of all hearts be opened, she did not understand. When Jesus talked about his death, she did not understand. But it is said that she had placed this in her heart. You see the wisdom, what it is comprised of in time. So that in time, to have this golden table and to under have the table of showbreads, to have complete the vessel that is filled with oil. This is what it means that the mercy of God is given to us in those things that we do not understand. This is what the mercy of God is given. in, And if we understand it, we will lack all groaning and moaning. We will Play this question aside and say, There come a time and I will understand. Lord, I accept this word, but for now I will ponder upon what I have understood. One service, two services, and then all of a sudden there comes this certain certainty. Many people have told me about this in our in our other countries that are found in our service. If we don't understand this, they say, Well, we don't have a need to call pastor right now and to ask a question. There are people in America can do this, but we can't do this as quickly. We have already understood this, and we accept it simply in our heart. And we are are calm. And then all of a sudden, two Sundays pass. One Sunday, we listen to a sermon, and then all of a sudden, that question that we did not understand is so clearly, so certain for us, that we all look at one another and say, here it is, here's the answer. therefore, Behave very caref- carefully, not as uh, the fools, but as the wise. Redeem the, uh, redeem the time. There will not always be this time when you will hear the word that you do not understand, but you accept. Seventh, the mercy of God in relation to us as vessels of mercy is defined in our heart in the fear of the Lord, the sign according to which we are called to test our relationship toward those who fear God or to demonstrate the fear of the Lord in brotherly love. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. To whom is the mercy of God as directed to? On those who fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is in righteousness, in the righteousness that we have grown from the truth. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom of God. The fear of the Lord is is all of that which we have in our heart, the reigning teaching of Christ, all of the promises of God, the bind of all the promises of God that we have hidden in our heart. These are called the fear of the Lord. in a person and a person tries to live according to that word that he has hidden in his heart and then when all of a sudden he has said something incorrectly, thought incorrectly, done something incorrectly, his conscience immediately shows him all of a sudden and an indicator shines. Just like in our home, we have an indicator in our home, a smoke alarm. All of a sudden if there's smoke immediately it begins to screech. Same thing here. As soon as we do something incorrectly, thinking correctly, it begins to shine. And what do we do? We repent right away. And God does not impute this to us as sin. Why? Because we have a conscience that has judged us and we have submitted to it and we have said... I had take back my words. I repent in this action, in this sin. And therefore, when this judgment of God, this conscience that is cleansed of dead works in which it is carried, and which has carried the law of God, and we submit to our conscience if we have done something incorrectly, we do not argue with our conscience. We do not try to prove to it, justify it. We do not bring her place in scripture that, oh, I am right in this or I'm right in that. Therefore, the mercy of God is everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him to those who have the fear of the Lord. If we have this kind of fear of the Lord, this means that the mercy of God is going to clothe us. It's just here that the er, truth is grown as the fruit of righteousness It is presented in the fear of the Lord and then the mercy of God is going to come down upon us. The second question What purpose does God pursue in his mercy that came down from heaven to the truth grown in the soil of our good heart into the fruit of righteousness in order to test ourselves for the demonstration of brotherly love in our faith? Taking into account the needs and demands of man, even regardless of the curse of sin that destroys the life of man, we are all dependent and need the constant mercy of God containing in itself an amazing order of the life of God, according to which we are called to experience in ourselves the presence of the power of brotherly love. Mercy is a certain order of God. First, the purpose of the mercy of God in relation to us as vessels of mercy is called to manifest in our essence the life of God. The sign according to which we can test ourselves for the presence of the power of brotherly love. Because your mercy is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Psalms 63, 3. Based on this statement, it follows that mercy on the scale of priorities is higher than our soul and the body. Because it is not life in the flesh that produces the mercy of God, but the mercy of God, it produces the soulful life in the body. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And of course, the greatness of God's mercy lies in the fact that none of us on our own is capable of making such an impression on God that He would turn His favor upon us. Therefore, even the creation of such an atmosphere that would attract the grace of God to us in His favor is a joint work of God and man. So, in order to grow in in our heart truth in the fruit of righteousness, we need the cooperation of God and man. We need mercy here. Mercy is present even in this. God gives us a part of this mercy. It is written, I have planted, Apollos watered, and God has grown. This is mercy, this is mercy because if God will not grow, nothing will occur. But if we are going to have a correct relationship toward the one who plants and the one who waters, then God will grow. But if we have an incorrect relationship toward the one who plants and the one who waters, then God is not going to grow. God is not going to grow the truth in the fruit of righteousness so that then this mercy of God can cover, can cover this fruit. Therefore, the mercy of God is better than life in the flesh, because it gives life. It gives life to all flesh, and it gives life to all that is living. The purpose of the mercy of God in relation to us as vessels of mercy is called to give us the rights. To call on the name of the Lord, the sign according to which we can test ourselves for the presence of the power of brotherly love. So, if we are capable to call upon the mercy of God, this is the mercy of God, not everyone can call on the name of the Lord. A person must gain mercy of God in order to call upon the mercy of God. And if he can call upon the name of the Lord, then this means that he has the right, the power to demonstrate the power of brotherly love and his faith. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Take a look here. So God's goodness, God's goodness and his mercy is only to those people who call upon God. Based on this statement, the purpose of God's mercy at the foundation of our salvation is intended to serve only one category of people who are endowed with this right to call on the name of the Lord or to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Only to them is directed the mercy of God, the purpose of the mercy of God, in order to clothe people who call upon God. Not everyone, not all believers, not all believers are able to call upon God. To call upon God can be done only kings, priests, and prophets. Taken together, if he is just a king, but he is not a priest or a prophet, he cannot call upon God. He cannot enter into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. To call upon the name of God is to have the ability in our spirit to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit revealing the truth in our heart in order to immediately fulfill the command heard in our heart. If a person does not fulfill or obey the Lord's commands such as to not utter a lie, not commit adultery, not steal, not kill, not envy, not to take revenge and conquer evil with good, such a person has no means and no legal right to erect a foundation from emerald in his depths in order to call on the mercy of God from the position of Emerald, from the position of the mercy of God. Therefore, despite the fact that God is merciful, such a person, being a vessel of anger, will be punished by God both in his personal life and in the life of his offspring. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Romans chapter 11, verse 22. So you see here that you are going to be cut off if you do not call on the name of the Lord. So to call God is the right, I repeat, of kings, priests, and prophets. Because to call on God, we must know how to call. We must first build ourselves into an altar. This means we must know the goals of God in relation to ourselves. We must understand the perfect will, what it is comprised of. If I don't know the will of God in relation to myself, I don't know my calling, how I can call upon God what kind of sacrifice I'm able to bring God, then I'm going to ask God, not for that which God wants, but that which I want. When I force the Holy Spirit to be my servant and God to be my servant, not I a servant, but He a servant, well, He's not going to become a servant because I will do this. Lord, do this or do that. No. If I do not know the will of God, the will of God, is our sanctification. But sanctification is the means. It is the means. Why do we need sanctification? In order for us to achieve a certain goal. And this goal is comprised of the adoption of our body and the redemption of Christ. So we must prepare ourselves to the promise to the promise that lays at the door of our hopes that this promise can be revealed to us. We first must accept it. For this it is necessary to be sanctified. And when we have accepted it, we need continual sanctification, continual sanctification. So that this promise can grow, it can become clear, so that God can look clearly read on the tablets of our heart and fulfill this for us. Because despite the fact that He has tarried, this promise will and will unchangeably be fulfilled. And that's why I must continually think upon this, ponder about this, and this is what it means to call on the name of the Lord, to speak to God that which He wants, to pray with His words, to take the prayer words from those words that God has already spoken at one time. Third, the purpose of the mercy of God in relation to us as vessels of mercy is called to give us the right to partake to the sworn covenant which God made with our fathers, the sign according to which we can test ourselves for the power of brotherly love in our faith. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which He swore to them. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31. So, God is not going to forget the covenant which He has affirmed not with us, but with our fathers. When God speaks of the covenant that He confirmed with an oath with our fathers, He does not mean their offspring in the flesh. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are a spiritual kinship that meets the requirements of their faith. A person who does not have his spiritual origin from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can never rely on the grace of God which extends within the limits of his covenant. According to the unchanging word of God, Abraham became the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also who walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That's why. How? How is God going to fulfill the covenant of of the fathers for me. If I have a partaking to these fathers, the spiritual partaking, that is going to be based on my faith, if my faith will coincide with the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because the faith of Isaac coincided with the faith of his father Abraham, the faith of Jacob coincided with the faith of his father Isaac and Abraham. And in his prayers, he continually turned to this faith. He continually turned to this faith. He said, if it were not the fear of Isaac. If So if it were not the God of Isaac, my father, you would have let me go without anything, he says to a man. And he constantly looked at the covenant with his fathers. Then God gave him his covenant. And in this manner, if we have this kind of faith, and if we use it, we must study the life of these patriarchs of faith, which who are our fathers in the spirit. We need to study study their lives so that our life could meet the requirements of their faith how they acted what they had done in certain in certain time that God had given them and then the mercy of God is going to come down upon us Fourth, the purpose of the mercy of God in relation to us as vessels of mercy is called to turn God's attention on our trouble and know our soul in adversities, the sign according to which we can test for the presence of the power of brotherly love. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble, you have known my soul in adversities. Psalms 31, 8. Take a look here. The mercy of God, meaning I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy for you, because that which God has looked upon my calamity and has known my soul and adversities, this is the purpose of the mercy of God in order to know and consider our trouble and to know the soul, our soul and adversities, to pay attention to our trouble. What does it mean to turn attention or to consider our trouble? This doesn't mean that he delivered me from this trouble. He had turned his attention and considered our troubles. He simply said to him, I am with you, but you must endure this. Rebecca had come to the Lord and said, Lord, why, why you have given me this difficult pregnancy? My life, it's better for me to die than to live. It is so difficult. Her pregnancy was so difficult that Rebecca had wanted to die. But God said to her, My dear, you must endure this because in your womb are two nations and the youngest will be blessed and the oldest is going to be found under a curse and they're warring in your body right now and they're going to a war for the rest the remainder of their lives. The remainder of our lives, these nations, these two people within us, the old man and the new man, are warring. And sometimes it becomes difficult for us in pain and we say, Lord, and when will this end? And then he says, I have looked upon and considered your trouble. I see this, but you must endure this. You must endure this war. It will end. You are not going to eternally carry these nations in your womb as Rebecca had carried. There is a time for for labor. There will come a time when I will produce victory of one nation over the other nation. And I am with you. I have known, considered your trouble. I know how in trouble you are, but you must endure this. Fifth, the purpose of the mercy of God in relation to us as vessels of mercy is called to hold us up when our foot slips, the sign according to which we can test ourselves for the presence of the power of brotherly love. If I say, my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. What does it mean for the foot to slip? This slipping, this is the slipping of our faith. This is a slipping of our goals. When you go into the house of God, watch after your foot. So a foot is a goal. Why are you going there? What purpose are you pursuing? Or what goal are you pursuing? My foot slips. When John was, John the Baptist, when he was in prison, his foot began to slip He had waited the judgment of the decree of death over himself. And he had sent his disciples to Jesus to ask, Are you the one? Are you the one? Or do we wait for another? And then Jesus sends an answer to him that, Pay attention, pay attention to what I'm doing and my works. I resurrect, I heal, and so forth, and blessed is he who is not stumbled by this, because when we accept, when we accept the promise and it does not occur, we might stumble. Why is nothing happening, we say. And he says, when I say, my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up at this time, the sleeping, when it will seem to us as if that which we have accepted does not belong to us. We're not going to be able to carry this infant and be able to, to give birth to him. This is the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. Are we going to be able to be able to carry him? Are we going to be able to, in holiness, continue to live and be sanctified all the more? Are we going to be able to stand, to stand watch during the night as the priests of the Lord had done? You know that priests who stand watch during the night is prayer in the night, prayer watchfulness. They had to be there during the night. In this time, one could not eat and drink because they were found in prayer. Today, when we have night prayer, what happens? What happens? There are people who all of a sudden begin to order what for for them to be prepared before they are going to, to pray, to have food prepared for them. This is not a restaurant. This is a house of prayer. Eat in your homes. And don't bring any kind of food here. Don't bring any burritos, don't bring any Taco Bell. You don't need any kind of scents and aromas to be spread. Here is the Spirit of the Lord here. Here is spiritual food. Don't mix one with the other. Can you just endure? Because our special forces... They had never done this before, but there are people who have begun to do this. And now instead of preparing themselves for prayer, they want food to be prepared for them specifically and they will go into the kitchen. Can you imagine if we all, all of those who are praying go and gather into the kitchen and people are, and someone's going to prepare something there? No, if the promise was given or responsibility to a certain person to prepare something, this is only for the group. That prepare who came from work, who do not have enough time, and simply just to have some kind of sandwich or tea or coffee, just to quench their their thirst. It's impossible to pray with a full stomach, and you are then no longer prepared for prayer. Instead of preparing yourself for prayer in the beginning, when you had begin to. Uh, Begin our prayer services. We prayed for six hours and we didn't go anywhere. What do you mean, eat and drink? But today for two hours and all of a sudden they are requesting special orders of food. No, no more special orders of food. No more special orders of food. If you want to be special forces, then behave yourselves. Behave yourselves as priests. If your foot slips and it seems to you that this is uh, uh, incomprehensible to you, then understand that I am zealous for this house to be a house of prayer and not a restaurant and not some kind of kitchen table but a house of prayer don't bring borscht here or whatever else that has been prepared one thing when we are working and another thing when when we are not if you see that the service ends and all the children run there to the kitchen close it close the kitchen during this time because we have water where we can drink and it's not in the kitchen. Do some kind of order. This is the house of God. We are going to pray. May the Lord bless us in this prayer. Let us bow our knees and whom it is impossible, their heads. We wait for you at the altar and all of those that desire to repent, to challenge their flesh, If God has corrected your flesh, He is going to stand on your side and He is going to help you to crucify your flesh with its lusts and desires. We will pray and let the Lord bless us in this prayer. I pray with your prayers along with you and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you, He is not against you. His correction is the light, the light that uncovers the desires of the flesh in order for you to be able to crucify them and destroy them. Your eyes closed. This is the mystery room, the secret room. Your hands raised without wrath and doubt. Pray along with me, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. I uncover my heart. I acknowledge my sin. I proclaim it. I confess it, and I reject it. May it be crucified on the cross. May it die along with me in your death so that I could be erected in, the, in your resurrection, so that your mercy could p- come down to me. I love your word. I love your church. I love your nation. May your mercy come upon me. May you heal my heart. May the chains of sin be destroyed. May the chains of my illnesses be destroyed. May my spirit rejoice in your resurrection. I accept in my heart your forgiveness, your righteousness, your freedom, your mercy, your justification. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. May your sins and your transgressions be forgiven you in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He come down upon you with His hands and have peace on you and give you peace. May upon you fall thousands and tens of thousands around you and not draw near you. May upon you fall the blessings of the ancient hills and everlasting mountains. May all of this come upon you and upon your descendants, and may they be fulfilled upon you. And let the people say, Amen.